willingly surrender to God's desires for me or do I make my decisions based on what seems right to me in the moment? Something we go through day after day after day. So this is a challenge I want to leave you with tonight. And Michael, you can finally go back to the slide I kept pushing you away from. Who do you trust? Do you trust God or do you trust yourself? I'm not talking about your salvation of your soul for eternal sake. I'm talking about in moment after moment after moment and all the decisions we make throughout life, who do you trust more? God or your own logic, emotion, wisdom, etc. All right. So that's kind of the launching point. Now, if you wouldn't mind going back to that verse, I'm going to just kind of pick this apart and get see if we can't find an answer. So it begins with the question. When the Pharisees heard that he was silenced by the Sadducees, they, excuse me, silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? So the commandment in the law, the law is referring to the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It was where God gave his law. There's a total of like 613 laws that God gave to the Israelites. And he said, if you keep all these things, then I will bless you. If you do not, I will curse you. And the Pharisees had grabbed a hold of these and said, this is from God. Therefore, this is what we need to focus on. But what they did over time through teachings and their own emotions and desires, they picked out which one was a little bit more important than the other. Uh, So they looked at fasting. Fasting is the most important commandment, therefore everything associated with fasting is important, or religious or ritual cleanliness, or the the Sabbath, right? And we do the same thing with denominations, how we have splits between uh, whether you have to wear a collared shirt or you can wear a t-shirt, flip-flops, right, or in jeans, or slacks, or free will that we can choose, or the fact that God has predetermined everything for us. And there's all sorts of divisions that have taken place, and the same thing within the Pharisees. And so they're testing them in a way that they thought that there was no concrete answer. You know, and, and for us, the question would have been a little bit different, but similar in terms of its weightiness. We would have said, Jesus, what is the purpose of life? What, why was I created? What plans does God have for my life? You know, the law is what laid out everything for them, how they acted, And so the question is very similar to ours. Why was I created? But similar to the divisions within the Pharisees, we live in a culture that emphatically proclaims that every person's life is his own to create. A woman's choice of priority are her own to determine based on personal desire, experience, and knowledge. We are the masters of our own destiny, our culture claims. There is no one-fits-all answer, so the debate on how this question continues for us as well. What is our purpose? And it's really hard to imagine anybody saying one thing to that question, right? If somebody asks you, what is the purpose for my life? Be like, wow, that that depends on who you are and what you want to do and why God has created you. But what we see here is Jesus gives a single statement. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with your Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Or for us, this is the purpose of your life. This is why God created you. You know, the second one um, deserves an entire other sermon. So we're going to leave that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. This is your purpose. You know, when you break it down, love is like the action of loving. It's demonstrating that love. It's more than just the emotional feeling. It's like, you know, everyone, most of us in here have kind of have an understanding of what love feels like and what love looks like. Um, it's such an intense word to even try to define. Um, with all of your heart, heart is not referring to the physical heart, um, but rather it's the inner self. Uh, it refers to the volition, like our willpower, our mind, our desires. Uh, soul is also referring to the inner self. Um, this is heart, mind, and the mind is obviously dealing with the reasoning and functioning. So Jesus is saying that the greatest thing that you need to do with your life is love God with everything you are. You know, he takes heart and soul, same thing, but he repeats it to force the issue that this is everything that you are with your emotions, with your thought process, with your willpower, with your time. This is why you were created. You know, it's a, it's a heck of a statement to make. You know, it's easy to just kind of go Christianese and be like, yeah, I knew that. And then go back to living our life and just planning all the different stages that we have in front of us and the careers that we want. And and we just do our own thing. And then, oh yeah, but I'm supposed to love God with everything. So I go to church on a Saturday or a Sunday and, you know, I read my Bible. But if we really stop and think, what is the purpose that we are created? Jesus says to love God with everything that you are. Should take a mo- we should take a moment just to kind of see how intense of a statement that really is. You know, in terms of support for the Pharisees, it's crazy. If you take the 613 commandments, they all fall into the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments sum them all up, in theory. And then the two commandments that Jesus just gave, all Ten Commandments can be broken down either loving God or loving others. So for them, it's like the perfect answer. You know, that doesn't really matter for us. You know, not many of you in here are Bible nerds like myself, so it's like, who cares about the the old Torah, right? But what we can do is look at the other support for why are we created to love God. Um, I'm just going to go through a quick list of God's characteristics. Number one, he's our creator. I should have slides for this one. Yeah, he's our creator. From him comes all life. Everything that we see in our entire existence was created by God himself. Without him, they would not be here. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created, only by his will. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all, heaven, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he creates and he sustains life. Without him, nothing would exist. Second thing, he is our redeemer. You know, we see, reading through the Bible as a history of humanity, we took a perfect world and we broke it with our sin, with our rebellion. And we brought strife and sickness and death and heartache into a world and take, took this perfect plane of glass and we shattered it. And instead of just walking away like you could have easily done, live out your own destiny, God 
enacted a redemptive plan. He did what needed to be done in order to redeem our relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Who would mind going to the next one? So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we were created by this perfect being that we decided to run away from, and instead of allowing us just to run into oblivion where there is no good, he brings us back to himself. You know, the third quality is that God is eternal. You want to go to the next one? Thank you. So, I don't know if you guys have come to this realization. I have quite, quite a bit in the last three months, but our life is just a flash in a pan. You know, we're like little fireflies that buzz around on a summer night, and then in the morning we're gone. You know, we're here for 10, 20, 30, 80 years, and that's all we get. But then things keep going and going and going. The one who created us, who redeemed us, is eternal. Is from the beginning of all things to the end of all things. He encompasses all things within time as well. Job 36, 26, Surely God is great and we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable. Isaiah 41, Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am first and will be with the last. You know, and the last, the last support for why he is the one worthy of, our, of all of our devotion is that he continually pursues us. Um, go ahead and go to the next one, Michael. You know, we see this in the entire Bible, that he is just a God that pursues his creation. It's not like we have to search him out and find him and then beg for him to take us in and, and just hope that someday he turns us in love. The, the entire Bible shows a redeeming God that wants nothing more than to love his creation and to be loved by his creation. You know, we can look at all the way from the beginning with a broken world to God's redemptive plan coming into play you know, a verse after they sin, God prophesies that his son would come and redeem it all. The book of Hosea talks about humanity being a whore that continually jumps from one man to the next while God is a faithful husband seeking her out and bringing her back home. We have such an incredible pursuing God you know, and it's not just in the Bible, it's in millions and millions and millions of other people's testimonies. You know, I'm sure dozens of us in here can tell stories about how God sought you out and brought you into a relationship with him and changed your broken world and gave you good. You know, it's, as I was breaking this down, like, why should we love someone? Why should we devote ourselves to them? It, it just dawned on me that our willingness to do this tends to be based on the things, qualities, or characteristics. You know, we ask ourselves the question, is it worthy of my devotion? Is a thing, a job, a place, an object, is it worthy of my devotion? Does it have the ability to fulfill my deeper desires? Does it have the ability to hurt me or place me in a dangerous position? You know, we do this all the time. We do it with toys and goodies, cars, or you know, uh, toys that we like to play with, four-wheelers or video games. 
uh, trips that we take. Uh, we do it based on habits that give us pleasure, whether it be drinking and smoking weed and things like that, or traveling a bunch, or having fun with your friends, you know, going to the lake, doing all these things. Or we, we also ask ourselves, is a career worthy of my devotion? Should I pour my time and energy into this career? Will it benefit me? Will it bring goodness into my life? And we do it with people too, with relationships. Is he or she going to hurt me? Is he or she going to fulfill me on a deeper level? You know, and God gives us these things, the toys and the people and the fun as ways to enjoy life, to be provided for and to grow more. However, they are simply gifts from our Creator. They are not the creator or sustainer of our contentment and joy. Anything that you look at and you ask those questions about, it's it's ability to fulfill you, to keep you safe, it inevitably will fail. But then you look at who God is, and you look at his track record with all of humanity through the Bible, as well as the stories that people tell, you see character traits that are without fault, and a love that is incomprehensible. In terms of an object of affection, there is nothing that beats out God, in my opinion. I'm talking logically, just break it down, put it through the test of pros and cons. And from what I've seen, there's nothing that can compare to God. So that's reasons why I think Jesus' answer is correct. But let's look at practically what does this kind of love entail? Because we can talk theoretically all the time about love God with everything, but unless we start breaking it down and saying, what does that look like? It just kind of stays in theory. So, quite simply, one word, it means we surrender. How do you love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? You surrender. Two different categories under here. Number one, uh, we surrender the choices we make with our time, with our mental energy, and with our resources. Let me ask you a question. Do your choices align with the belief that loving God with all you are is your priority? Do the choices you make today, yesterday, the week before, did those fall into the filter of, I want to love God with all I am. This is my top priority. You know, if you've been in love, if you are in love, you know that we demonstrate our love towards people and things through the everyday decisions that we make. We can easily profess our love towards someone without tangibly expressing that love. You know, if you're married, if you have kids, or you are somebody's kid, that one's for sure. Right? Think about what it would be like for me as a father to hang out with my son on a Sunday morning for an hour. And that's all he gets. But that's how I love him. My time with my wife, and we do have young kids, so it's unfortunate this is the case, but right, my time with my wife can easily be one time a week for an hour, and this is how I show her I love her. Or my parents, you know, I see them every once in a while, like once a month I'll spend a little time with them, but I love them so much. They know I love them through the hour that I spend with them once a week, once a month. You know, genuine love only exists when we take the theoretical, the emotions, a desire to love, and combine them with the practical outworking of that love. That means we commit our time, our energy, focus, and resources towards the beloved. If I want to love my wife, I spend time with her. 
I allow my brain and my mind to be engaged with what she is talking about and what she wants to do. How we spend our time, energy, and resources is a major indicator of what we love. Let me ask you a question. Does God receive your time, energy, and your resources? The second aspect of surrender is requiring trust. Loving God with all you have requires a commitment to trusting your Creator regardless of the circumstances you experience. You know, one of the major themes, in my opinion, of the Bible is God moving people from the comfortable into the uncomfortable. I think about Noah hanging out, just doing his thing, and then asked to build a boat, which has no place to fit within their perception of the world because there's not water to float a boat on and spends a hundred years building it while everybody ridicules him. Abraham is called away from all of his family and friends into an unknown land because he heard a voice from an unknown God. And the list goes on and on and on of people being pulled out of the comfortable into the uncomfortable. And why does God do that? So we can say, I trust you over my logic. I trust you over my emotions. I trust you over my resources. I trust you over my family. You know, the same is true for us. You know, if you've been alive 15, 20, 30, 40 years, I guarantee you've gone through uncomfortable circumstances. You know, God moves us into those or he allows us to go through these in order to put our emotion and our logic through trials of prosperity or trials of suffering. Trials of prosperity where I have everything. Why do I need God? I can buy whatever I need to make me happy in whatever way I want. Or trials of suffering. How is God good? He allowed me to go through this. Why would a loving creator allow me to go through this experience? How can he be worth trusting? And it's in these moments that we have a chance to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind because we choose him. The creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, the eternal God over the fleeting circumstances, however hard they may be. We choose to trust God instead of our emotions. We choose to trust God instead of our logic. You know, it's, it's crazy how, how often we can go through these. You know, this summer, I've been going through both, both a trial of prosperity and a trial of suffering. You know, God has given us a business renting cabins that he's made so prosperous that I have more money than I think I need. But this April, he allowed, he allowed a circumstance to occur in which I fell and hit my head and spent a month in a mental uh, rehabilitation institute. And so I'm sitting here battling, like just pouring into my business, building more cabins, making it grow, which I don't feel like I'm supposed to do, or preparing for this topic when I have a dwindling amount of energy and I can't get my mind to think correctly and the thoughts to fall into place. And so it's like I'm stuck in the middle. Like, can I choose to just get more money? Can I choose to have despair over my situation? Or can I choose to trust God? That God knows how my business should operate. God knows for some reason that I'm still supposed to be a teacher. He keeps telling me that even though my brain does not agree with that. And it's in these moments that 
I have the ability to either trust everything else or simply trust God. It's, it's just crazy how sovereign God is out over everything, but how he continually allows us to go through situations, both good and bad, that test our trust in him. Why would he do that? Why would he allow us to go through so much of these trials? What is our purpose? To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Jesus did not say our purpose is to be comfortable. Our purpose is to be happy. He said your purpose is to love your creator with everything that you are. That is why we are created. All right, so how does this look? How, how do we just surrender everything to God in order to love him? Does this mean that we all need to abandon our careers and become monks in the mountains meditating on God? Or nuns, I suppose. You know, I, uh, I don't know. I think God has given each of us, given all of you specific talents and the opportunity to work where you work. And he has given you the privilege of the relationships you love. Those have been given to you by your creator. He didn't, Satan didn't give you those things. Your flesh didn't give you those things. God allowed you to have the things that you have. And in my opinion, a call to devotion, devoting your entire life to God, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to abandon all those things. Rather, I think it means that we need to approach our lives through the filter of seeking God in all we do. Let me give you a couple questions to get you meditating. What are God's intentions for me to do with my free time? What does God want me to do with the talents he has given me? How does God desire me to treat my employees, coworkers, friends? What is God's design for me as a husband, a father, a son, a wife, a daughter, a mother? How does God want me to use my money, my cars, my house, my toys? We can continue to live out these diversely beautiful lives that God has given us. And in the midst of all of this, we can seek him with everything we are. You know, living out a devotion to God simply means that we long to do all things to bring him glory. In the midst of our time spent with family, at work, or having fun, we should be seeking to submit to God and to give him glory. That's what it means to love God with all you have. It's just a moment-by-moment submission to him while you're doing whatever God has designed you to do. You know, in my opinion, the easiest place to start with this is beginning your day, surrendering whatever comes to the maker of that day. You know, I love the way that David put it. If you want to put up the last one. In Psalms 25, he said, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. There's just something that I've found psychologically, emotionally, if I can begin my day 
by simply surrendering to him in a statement like this or whatever statement you have. And majority of the time, the rest of the day is far more focused on bringing him glory and submitting to him. If I start my day in the way that I think I need to start my day by logically getting everything in place or answering the phone call for business or getting out there and making more money, then the rest of the day seems to be consumed with me trusting myself. You know, as Josh and Gary come back up, um, gave us an opportunity to uh, enjoy a little bit of communion. You know, communion doesn't bring salvation. Uh, It's simply a symbolic act of focusing on the fact that Jesus broke his body or allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be spilt in order to redeem us to our creator. It has nothing to do with you belonging to a certain church. It has everything to do with you simply acknowledging the fact that God is good and Jesus brought what you needed. Um, so as they play the remaining set, I encourage you to come up here. Um, just take a little communion if you want. Um, and just kind of use a little, take this time and this uh, symbolic act to simply um, just submit to God just a little bit more. <laughs>